The first reading is from Messiah, chapter 52, verse 13 to 15. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there, there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being. And his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. The second reading is from Galatians chapter 6, verse 11 to 18. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Yes, they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. We are never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Good morning, church. My name is Jonathan, if you haven't had the pleasure of meeting. And it's my privilege to be um, speaking to you today. How about we pray and ask God for his help as we come to his word. Gracious Father, we thank you that you are a God who has not left us in our sin, but in your mercy you have reached out to us so clearly in the person of the Lord Jesus. So we pray as we contemplate his cross this morning that you will open our eyes, you will soften our hearts, give us ears to hear and hearts that are soft to your word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Ever since I was a young boy, um, I love food. Food is something that I hold dear to me, and so it's very easy for me to eat lots and put on a lot of weight. About six years ago, I managed to reach a grand total of 150 kilos. I had tried many different things to control my weight through diet and exercise, but I was thinking about it and I think I really did need some help. So I began talking to some doctors and reading up a bit about weight loss surgery. And after discussing it with my family and also with the doctors, I th we thought that might be a good idea. It was a complex operation, not, um, not small. It took a couple of hours. And I remember before the surgery, lying outside the operating theater. To be honest, I wasn't sure if I was going to make it out or not because there was a small but a real risk of complications. As I lay outside the operating theater, I remember praying the words of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, 
I shall not want. See, as I lay outside there, cold and naked, the experience gave me a strange sense of clarity. As I contemplated the possibility of death, would it have mattered whether I was influential or popular? Would it have mattered if I did well in school, had a great career, got married, bought a house, had kids? As I came face to face with the possibility of death, none of those things truly mattered. What truly matters was whether my boast was in the cross of Christ or whether I was boasting in another. What truly matters was whether my confidence was in the cross and the cross alone. If I had to meet God face to face, the only thing I can say to him is nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross I cling. In our passage today, we come to the final words of the Apostle Paul to the churches in Galatia. It's the last chance for Paul to remind them of what's at stake. So like a seasoned advocate, he makes a final closing submission, if you like. Life or death? Heaven or hell? Salvation or damnation? That's what's at stake here for Paul's audience and so too for us. See, friends, if we entrust our eternal destiny to another, if we put our confidence in something or someone else to save us, then in chapter 5, verse 2, Paul says, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Or in verse 4, we have been alienated from Christ and have fallen away from grace. So Paul grabs this reed from his professional scribe and he pens these final words from his own hand. He says, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. It's not clear why Paul's writing with large letters. Perhaps it was to emphasize something or to make something important like how we bold and highlight stuff. Or maybe his eyesight was failing or maybe he wasn't as skilled as a professional scribe. We can't be sure. But in our time together, we'll be exploring three points, and there's an outline in the bulletin if you'd like to follow along there. Firstly, don't boast in the flesh. Secondly, boast in the cross alone. And finally, some implications of what that might look like for you and me. Paul had been at pains to paint two radically different Gospels, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks. In chapter 1, a Gospel taught by men, or a Gospel revealed by God. In chapter 2, a Gospel of works, or a Gospel by faith. In chapter 3, a Gospel grounded on the works of the law, or a gospel grounded in the promises of God. One leads to freedom, the other enslaves. See, Paul's enemies had been saying, do, do, do. Paul says, it is done. It is finished. 
and at the center of their difference is the object of their boast. There are those who boast in the flesh and those who boast in Christ alone. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Paul's opponents had a false agenda, a false motivation, and a false boast. So what was their agenda? Well, if you look with me in verse 12 of our passage this morning, they are trying to compel you to be circumcised, says Paul. Or in verse 13, they want you to be circumcised. As we've seen over the weeks, the Paul's enemies taught a gospel of faith plus works. Why did Paul's opponents want to force the churches to be circumcised? Look at the rest of verse 12. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. They were frightened of others, but more than that, their motivation wasn't God-centered or other person-centered. It was self-focused, wasn't it? Their only concern was to avoid persecution and keep themselves safe. How does this contrast with the Apostle Paul? Listen to what he says in chapter 4 and verse 19. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. I still remember the pain and suffering that I saw on my wife Priscilla's face when she was in labor. And as a man, of course, I can only imagine how painful and terrible it was. And Paul picks up this image to describe his love for the churches. He was willing to suffer for their sake. That's why he says in verse 17, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. What are these marks? What are the marks of Jesus that Paul bears? Listen to how he describes it elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 11. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with a rod. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in dangers from rivers, in dangers from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the cities, in danger in the country, in danger in, at the sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone without, often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and I have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. These are the marks of Jesus that the Apostle Paul proudly bears. See, the false teachers had a false agenda, a false motive, but also a false boast. They sought to impress others by means of the flesh, if you look at verse 12. In verse 13, they sought to boast in the number of Gentiles being circumcised. But what does it mean really to boast? To boast is to take pride in something, to glory in something, to boast and brag about something. That's why in Jeremiah 9, in verses 23 to 24, the Lord says, Let not the wise men boast of their wisdom, or the strong men boast of their strength, 
or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have understanding to know me. See, the truth is that all of us boast about something or someone, isn't it? What we boast in determines our identity. It's what we look to to validate ourselves and give us a sense of confidence and strength. In Luther's preface to his commentary on Galatians, Luther says, when Satan accuses us, we often turn to what we boast. I'm a good father. I'm a good employee. I'm a good worker. I'm a good mom. I'm a good son or daughter. But our righteousness is a filthy rag before the Lord, isn't it? Nothing in my hand I bring Simply to the cross I cling. John Piper, a famous American pastor, tells a story of two women who were serving in Cameroon. The first was a single lady who was about 80. She'd given her life to making Jesus known to the poor and sick. And she was accompanied by a friend named Laura, who was a widow, who was a doctor also serving alongside her. They were in a car. And sadly, because the brakes failed, the car went off a cliff and they were both killed in an instant. Was that a tragedy? Two lives driven by a boast in the Lord Jesus? It's not a tragedy. It's a glory. What a tragedy is, according to Piper from the Reader's Digest, says that Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs one was 59, the other was 51. And they spent their time cruising along, playing softball and collecting seashells. The American dream, or is it the Australian dream? To come to the end of your life and let your last words before you give an account to the creator be, I collected seashells. That's a tragedy. A tragedy is if we put our boast in our comforts, if we put our boast in our wealth and health, it's a tragedy. That's why the Apostle Paul says in verse 14, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've seen don't boast in the flesh, boast in the cross Boasting in the Lord Jesus is used by Paul elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 Corinthians 10, where he says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, Paul takes this idea from Jeremiah we saw earlier, and he applies it to the cross of Christ. To boast in the cross is shocking for at least two reasons. Firstly, to boast in the cross alone is offensive, because it's saying to the one who is a moralist, all the good works that you do, all the striving you've done all your life, and really you are in the same position as the selfish, self-centered person. How dare you say that, they say to us. To boast in the cross alone is to say to the religious person who doesn't know Jesus, all your faith, your piety, your service, it all counts for nothing if you don't know Christ. 
Secondly, to boast in the cross alone is offensive because the cross itself is offensive. What do you think of when you hear the word cross? Maybe love, grace, forgiveness, reconciliation, redemption. Rightly so, isn't it? For us who call ourselves Christians, we boast in the cross because we love it and we know it. But in Paul's day, when someone heard the word cross, they would think horror, scandal, shame, weakness. See, the cross was the most horrific and terrible of torture devices reserved for the lowest of criminals and slaves. And yet Paul says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's shocking. It's like saying our only boast is in the electric chair or only rejoice in the lethal injection or let your one boast be the executioner's rope. And yet this is meant to be our only boast in life. Why? Why is the cross so significant? Well, look with me in verse 14. Paul says, Through the cross, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See, because of the cross, you and I stand free from sin and death and from the corrupt world that is. Because of the cross, we are free from the present evil age and we stand right before God, justified in his sight. So to boast in the cross is to cling to the truth that you and I are accepted because Jesus was rejected. That we are received by him because Jesus was cast out. That we are righteous because Jesus was condemned. So we can cry out, as Martin Luther has once penned, Lord Jesus, you are my righteousness, just as I am your sin. You have taken upon yourself what is mine, and you have given what is yours. You have taken upon yourself what you were not, and you have given to me what I was not. Friends, let this be our boast. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. See, for Paul, what truly matters wasn't circumcision or uncircumcision, but where we put our boast in, who we put our boast in. Because the cross was what has radically transformed the old and make it, made, made all things new. So if you look at verse 15, Paul says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Or again, in 2 Corinthians 5, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. I wonder for you, what has been a life event that has been life-altering or life-changing? Maybe for some of us, finishing the HSE, or starting university, starting work, getting married, having your first child. All these are wonderful God-given life events, aren't they? But the ultimate event 
the truly life-altering, world-defining, universe-shaping event was the cross of Christ. For through the cross, the world has been forever changed. Through the cross, God is bringing an end to this present evil age and ushering a new, in a new world to come. In light of the new creation, whether you and I are circumcised doesn't truly matter, does it? What matters is whether we boast in our Lord Jesus Christ. Look with me in verse 16. If we walk by this rule, then peace is upon us. If we boast in the cross of Christ, then we experience God's mercy. Notice that it's conditional, isn't it? It is those who walk according to this rule, that is, according to the boasting in the cross alone, that we will experience peace and mercy. For if we boast in another, if we put our confidence in another, then Christ is of no value to us. That's why in chapter 1, Paul says, If anyone teaches another gospel, let him be accursed. Let him be condemned. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. So what implications are there for you and I in boasting in the cross of Christ? I've got three briefly for us this morning. Firstly, seek the applause of God and not men. Secondly, find our identity in Christ alone. And thirdly, have a vision of life grounded in the new creation. See, in contrast with the false teachers who are motivated by impressing others and boasting in the flesh, we are to be men and women who seek the applause of God and not others. That's why in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. It's natural and easy for us to want to be liked, to be loved, to be accepted, isn't it? But if we put our confidence in this, we'll be disappointed. So let's boast in the Lord by seeking the applause of God and not others. Secondly, boast in the Lord by finding your identity in Christ alone. It's easy for us to boast in so many things other than what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, isn't it? As a student, it's easy for me to put my identity in how college is going. Or as a father and a husband, it's easy to, see, to put my identity in family life. But what if God decides to take that, any of those things away? What will be left? Will you and I be able to say with the Apostle Paul, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ? What are we boasting in? Finally, boasting in the cross of Christ means knowing that the cross marks the beginning of the end. To boast in the cross is to live like this world is fleeting and passing away. Or as Piper has put, life is short, eternity is long, live like it. See, you and I are fragile human beings, isn't it? So let's make every minute count. Let's be faithful stewards 
of the breath that God has given us. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before its judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Friends, soon you and I will have to come face to face with the Father. When that day comes, would it have mattered whether we were popular or influential? Would it have mattered if you did well in school, if we had successive careers, if we bought a house, got married, had kids, all those great things? At the end of the day, what truly matters is whether our boast is in the cross of Christ or whether it is in another. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we can boast. We thank you that in him you have taken away all our sin and have given us his righteousness. So we pray that we may put our identity in Christ and Christ alone and boast in him and help us to live with one eye in the present but fixing our eyes to the new creation to come where you will make all things new and help us to live in a way that brings honour and glory to the Lord Jesus for your sake.